0: Welcome to Private Banking Strategies Podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks, your secret weapon to protect your assets and never have to start over financially again. Vance and Seth help high net worth individuals, families, business owners, and investors structure an asset protected, tax free fortress for their families. Learn how to keep what you earn and use the velocity of money to create your own private banking system. Join us on this journey as we explore the secret strategies of the rich and political elite and help you take total control of your financial security. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to Private Banking Strategies with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. Gentlemen, it's so good to be back with you. How are you?
2: Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it's just great to be back. Sometimes uh, uh, I miss our conversations, and I'm I'm happy that we can have an opportunity to uh, share a few thoughts and uh, ideas uh,
1: with our listeners. Yeah, and Vance, I I know that you have been on vacation, right? Did you go someplace?
2: Yeah, we did a... uh, 70th birthday um annual reunion with my family. Oh nice.
1: Nice. So
2: uh, everybody was disappointed when I told them
1: I stopped counting birthdays after 48. <laughs> 48's the number. Got it. Well, funny yep. you should say that I turned 48 next month. So, I now I know that's it. Okay. I'm done.
2: Well, pretty soon you'll be <laughs> as old as me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah. About a month. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. All right. So, gentlemen, what are we talking about today?
3: Well, Eric, we we're going to lay some foundation for asset protection, which is the first pillar of private banking strategies. Mm-hmm. We're getting this question quite a bit from listeners and also uh, from clients who want to implement the asset protection for their cash and for the real property and business assets. But first, let's start with the cash aspect. And we're going to ask ourselves the question of how you protect your cash. And how do, you, uh, how do you keep that in a place which is totally liquid, but yet safe from confiscation or excessive taxation? Mm-hmm. Because the problem that we're facing, I think, in our current culture is that we have an 800 pound gorilla running loose with two massive arms reaching for, uh, assets. And one arm is taxation and the other arm is confiscation. And the 800 pound gorilla is called government. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and we've talked about this in prior episodes, but the, uh, the, the model of Keynesian economics, which is a, a printing of money without any tie to value. We're not on the gold standard and the silver standard tied to our money as, as we've discussed previously. And we've got this monopoly printing of money that's now over $30 trillion mm. of US national debt that's, that's growing by the second. Yeah. So where do we, where do we solve that problem? How do we uh, satisfy that that gorilla? That's one of the questions we're going to be
1: asking. I'd like to avoid the gorilla. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to satisfy that gorilla, uh, but I know that avoidance is is kind of illegal when we're talking like tax and things like that, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we're not talking about uh, illegal tax strategies. We're talking mm-hmm. about things that are uh, completely uh, legal and completely actually codified by the Internal Revenue Code um, in Section 7702, which we'll get into a little bit further uh, as we drill down, But and I agree with you. We're not looking to satisfy this guerrilla. We're looking to stay completely out of its path, and um, there will be folks who are unprepared and unaware. And think that uh, some of the ideas we're discussing are fantastic, and that they they don't really need to protect their cash. And uh, I feel sorry for those people, but it's mm-hmm. actually quite easy to to take steps to protect yourself. Let me just jump in
2: here for a second. And one of the best ways to avoid tax taxes is not have taxable events. Mm-hmm. And inside the strategy, which uh, we talk about and help set up for, for clients, once principal is earned from outside sources and the taxes are paid inside your own economic unit, money can move and be put to work and not cause taxable events. So that's one form of asset protection. Is helping to not uh, pile up a boatload
3: of taxes.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So,
2: anyway, Precisely. I just thought I'd mention so, it. It's, that,
3: yeah, go, that's, go that's and that's not tax tax avoidance. That's just playing within the rules, uh, and the and the benefits that the ultra wealthy and folks like John F. Kennedy and uh, Ray Kroc and uh, Walt Disney and numerous other. Uh, Wildly successful entrepreneurs and uh, high net worth individuals have used. They, they've they've created this carve out and. Um, you're smart to take advantage of it. So that's all we're doing, Eric. We're not talking about
1: um, breaking any law. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the conversation that I've had with my kids, right? Both of my kids are adults now. I call them kids still, but they're adults and they've both on separate occasions. As we've been talking, they, they see the news that sensationalizes all sorts of things, but man, the rich don't pay their fair share. The, you know, the rich don't, you know, they don't pay the same kind of taxes we do. They have all these loopholes just for them. And, I have to remind them that number one, any loophole that they're using is placed there by the IRS basically, right? It's not that they're breaking the law and it may seem quote unquote unfair that they're not paying their again, quote unquote fair share. But bottom line is that they know the strategies to use to pay as little tax as possible. And a lot of them have to do with their business and so on and so forth. So it's not like they're breaking the rules or playing by the rules. It's just rules that most people don't have access to. Precisely,
2: Eric, one of the things we, we also have to understand in actuality, most of that, I think, is propaganda, you know, oh, yes. by our government and, and whatever, but the high-end earner uh, does pay the lion's share mm-hmm. of the taxes in the United States. They pay more in taxes than the uh, blue-collar or middle-class do yep. uh, as, a, as a total not as a percentage uh, as a percentage they're a little bit smarter and they do take advantage of everything they possibly can uh, or government uh, will take everything they've got
3: yeah and, and here's a here's an interesting uh, fact that I uh, that I'll highlight uh, in the 2016 presidential election there were debates between uh, Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton was uh, sounding a trumpet that says, he doesn't pay his taxes. Trump doesn't pay any taxes. And, and Trump simply says, I don't pay any taxes because I'm smart and it's completely legal. So we're talking about using the laws that have been established. For our uh, betterment and for our, our benefit, and there's no reason to not take advantage of those laws. And it's like Vance says, you you don't incur a taxable event when you set up uh, the strategies that that we're going to be discussing. So, let's let's talk about something that one of the arms of of uh, the 800-pound gorilla called Confiscation, and something that has been uh, in the last decade something that I think most people thought would never uh, have have come into their backyard, Mm bail-ins. What, what is a bail in, and what is a bail out, and and what uh, how did they come about? Well, you may remember in the 2008 financial crisis where there was toxic mortgage debt that there were some large financial institutions which were effectively insolvent, and the government declared them uh, too big to fail, and so they used uh, U.S. taxpayer dollars to effectively uh, rescue those companies, and it outraged taxpayers. And they w- w- started banging their war drums and saying, we sh- you shouldn't be using taxpayer dollars to bail out private financial institutions, no matter how big they are. And so Congress said, wonderful, let's let's change the legislation. And they called it the Dodd-Frank Act, which is all, also has the Consumer Protection Act in its name, which is is funny because it does nothing to protect consumers. And that Dodd-Frank Act actually legalized what's known as a bail-in. Yeah, with a bail-in, is it's where the money that's deposited into a banking institution is is actually uh, able to be seized by the bank if the bank determines that it's insolvent and needs to uh, capture those deposits to balance its books so that it can stay solvent. and people think that's 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 not right that's absolutely uh thievery and that's exactly what it is but that's what the dodd-frank act allows it allows these banks to create uh banking contracts with you which you sign you you roll through 50 pages of paper when you open a bank account initial here sign here i don't know who anybody who reads that do you Uh do you read that eric no just like the uh apple update (laughs) it's 152 pages sure i accept it Right. Who does? What else are you? Yeah. What else are you going to do? Hire a lawyer to negotiate it. And you know, <laughs> there's, you don't have an option. If you want to open that bank account, you check yes, 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 accept and sign here. And when you do that, you're effectively taking your deposits that you deposit in that bank and you're agreeing that they're actually the bank's, uh, uh, money now, and they have an IOU, which they, which they owe you. And if everything works out well and then you're you're able to pull cash out you're able to write checks on that and everything goes on just like it has for decades but if that bank becomes insolvent and they've got to take depositors cash you're going to get an iou from that bank and you're either going to get stock or other effectively pennies on the dollar value for what your deposits were and Mm -hmm. that's what a bail-in is and um you know, the next question that people say is, well, I've got insurance through the FDIC, right? Have you heard that, Vance? Oh, time and time again. We're brainwashed into it. And tell, tell folks what the FDIC is and what it does for you and doesn't do for you. It's a government insurance program that protects
2: every single account. I think it's up to, what, $250,000, $200,000 per account. Uh, That if the bank becomes insolvent, uh, there is insurance to fund back that money into your account. Uh, That's what and why we all deposit monies in the bank because it's
1: safe. Or or so you think. So I mean, do they? Is it the full two hundred fifty thousand, or is that per account? Yeah, they're, they're uh, supposedly
3: insuring two hundred fifty thousand dollars per, per account uh, at at a banking institution. But but here's where you really need to to pay it pay attention because that's that's an illusion for the unsuspecting. There's about seventeen point four trillion dollars in cash deposits in U.S. centralized banks, according to CNBC. Now, when you look at the FDIC's own uh, published account. Uh, accounting that they show you what they have in reserves, um, it's it's a pittance compared to 17.4 trillion. Uh, like I think it was 100 billion or less recently when the Harvard economics professor did a study that, that I was uh, investigating. You got about 1.3 cents on every dollar uh, actually in reserves. So you've got this promise of. Well, yeah, we'll insure $250,000 per account in each of these banks, but in reality, they don't have the money to, to back that up. And if the government were going to try to bail out the FDIC, that would be happening in, a, in an absolutely catastrophic type of situation, catastrophic atmosphere, and it's not, it, it won't. Pencil, it won't work. So your deposits in uh, there—it's—it's an illusion to think that they're safe with FDIC insurance. They're—they're simply not.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's—it's a a complete and total fallacy that your assets in uh, bank accounts now have actual insurance uh, to back it up. Those those funds and those assets are going to be lost. Another note uh, i just like to mention out, and the only reason I'm going to mention it right now, is I've we've had an uptick in uh, people reporting that my bank will only let me pull out a maximum amount of $500 in cash at one time now. Hmm. That is definitely a, a signal of, of tightening, of, of not having those cash reserves, because when you print money, those dollar bills are not being printed and they do not have anywhere near the assets to pay all the depositors back and if there's a run they've already made limits that we don't have to give you this we really don't have to give you any of your assets in cash or honor accounts up to six months Hmm. Well, they, they can take as long as six months but what we're hearing today and I heard this uh, over the last month at least four times uh, and I documented it of people telling me Vince did you know I went in to get uh, a little bit of cash you know, I wanted a thousand dollars of cash and they're only give me 500
4: do you see yourself in that story Do you feel like you are generating a lot of revenue but are not moving forward as fast as you would like? Are you ready for help? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com.
1: So let me let me ask you about the the bail-ins, right? I mean, that's kind of the first time I've heard of that, Seth. Um, Is that just in the U.S. or is that a is that a global thing? It's it's actually
3: a, a worldwide policy that we've seen being implemented over the past decade or more now. For folks, they may or may not be aware that it, it's actually uh, already occurred in other countries. Like in Cyprus, there was uh, the Cyprus bail-in in 2013 where uh, depositors woke up on a Saturday and uh, their bank accounts had been frozen, and anything over $100,000 in these accounts uh, was seized at 50%. So if you had a million hmm. bucks in the bank account, first 100000 was yours, and then the other nine hundred dollars was... Uh, 50% was taken, and you you actually got the other 50%. And there's still litigation going on for to try to recover the cash assets. Ireland, their former finance minister, Michael Noonan, said bail-ins are now the the rule. And, in fact, all uh, 28 European Union countries have uh, codified bail-in rules and bail-in laws. So... Um, you, it's actually a worldwide policy, and it, it it begs some really interesting questions that I'm going to pose to you. I'm not going to answer them all, but we're going to pose to you and the listeners so that they can go do some research and, and lay some dots out and see if the light bulbs come on. But, I mean, Eric, we talked about this a little bit on, on the last show. You brought up the fact that uh, Canadian citizens who had supported the trucker movement, even mm-hmm. to the tune of a $10. Uh, donation. They had bank accounts frozen, and um, I don't know if you followed any more of that uh, that news thread. But um, it's effectively taking without any due process, a taking mm-hmm. without any type of breaking of a law. It's simply that you disagree with a minority uh, dictator in place, and. That's what we're seeing. So to answer your question, it, it's a worldwide policy. It's a yeah. global uh, confiscation or a teeing up for global confiscation. I think the Cyprus w- uh, was a test run to see if they could get away with it, what people mm-hmm. would do. And I think as fiat currency continues to inflate and have less and less value, you're going to see this occur more and more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean when you say that I, I actually think we have some current things happening I mean that are even more current I mean the, the Canadian thing wasn't that long ago but um, I know that I've seen a lot of reports of very wealthy Russian like oligarchs their yachts are being uh, you know seized and, and held in in different countries
3: we were talking about this before we started recording Vance and I and we were, you know, where <laughs> wherever in, in time have you seen without any type of formal charging or any type of uh, due process where there's actually uh, a fair and just hearing that assets are just taken? So you have... You know, billion-dollar yacht sitting in a, f- a foreign sovereign country's port, and they just seize it and, and take it because you're a, uh, a Russian citizen and affiliated supposedly with Putin. How, it's more of just a accusatory confiscation, and I don't think we've seen that in our lifetimes ever before.
1: Yeah, how do, you, how do you verify, right? How do you verify that that's somebody that has, that is close ties to Putin and supports them and has whatever? I think it's more of just a label, right? Oh, you're rich and you're Russian. Okay, well, then I'm going to take this and, and we're going to seize your property. We're going to seize your house. I know that there was, uh, I saw a, a large house that was seized and other people were put in it because um, I, I think Ukrainians. And, and again, I have no problem with that if these people are supporting the war on the Ukrainians. But like you said there was no due process there there was just an assumption and if you're rich and you're Russian and yeah I'm gonna take your stuff because that's the quote unquote fair thing which I don't know
3: you wouldn't think that in america that those type of occurrences would would happen or that america would be complicit in uh things such as the dodd frank act where the deposits of citizens are actually the bank deposits but they kind of hide that and and that's what's really shocking is that there's there's this uh, what's easily rat-holed as oh, conspiracy theory, fringe, fantastic, sensationalized news, or uh, it's it's easy to pigeonhole uh, those that don't believe you as crazy or fantastic. And if you can convince other people that it, they're crazy or fantastic, no one pays attention. And um, I remember when <clears throat> I have a friend who who told me, uh, this has been over a decade ago, and we're both uh, uh, into precious metals. um, And he was telling me, the only thing with precious metals is that the government could pass uh, a law and effectively confiscate metals. And I said, yeah, not in a free America, never going to happen. And he laughed and he said, are you kidding? It's, It's already happened. FDR passed a law that required... Private citizens to turn in their gold at twenty dollars an ounce, and then they magically made them thirty-five dollars an ounce overnight. And uh, if you didn't, it was punishable with uh, jail time. Mm. And there are people who went to jail. And I and I said that didn't happen. And so I I looked it up and started researching it. And sure enough, it was it was shocking to me that in a free America. The government passed a law, an executive or the president you know, had an executive order that confiscated gold. Did you wow. know that, Eric? I, I, I have never heard that before. No, Vance. Did you know that?
2: Oh yeah, I knew I uh, knew that had happened. Also, um, we have history of putting a group of people in concentration camps in World War II. Yep, almost all. Japanese citizens in the United States were rounded up and taken to concentration camps. So our government does have some radical things. They do push them. Uh, We are being tested in every way. And it's time that we either (laughs) start our own economic situation or we do something to let government know in mass quantities that you know what you're doing is
3: is going to cease, or you're not going to be there. So what we're trying to do here for our audience is is pop the bubble, uh, the illusion bubble that. Uh, that you're completely safe in centralized banks with your cash, and that the government is always acting in your best interest—it's uh, simply not the case. And I—I I said when we started out, I was going to ask a few questions that I wasn't going to answer. But for those who want to go uh, look for the answers, I—I I invite that um, that drill down. And and so. We talked a little bit on our last podcast about the Federal Reserve, Eric, and we talked about the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913, and also the the IRS uh, implementing income tax in 1913, and that was no mistake that it happened in the same year. I'd ask the audience to to think about and ask themselves, what is the Federal Reserve? Is it, as the name suggests, a part of our government, or is it a a private entity? And who owns the Federal Reserve if it's not a government entity? Why does it exist? And uh, likewise, who owns the centralized banks where we deposit our money? There's also an International Monetary Fund, which is an organization called the IMF, the acronym for International Monetary Fund, and it controls monetary policy throughout the globe. It was co-founded by John Maynard Keynes, who I, I, I learned in my current research, uh, to my surprise, was one of the co-founders. He's. It's also he is also responsible for Keynesian economics, which is uh, the printing of money effectively, which we're experiencing now. So when people begin to answer those questions about the Federal Reserve and centralized banks and the IMF, you're going to see a connection of dots that creates a more nefarious plan of control than most people have really ever considered or thought imaginable. The centralized banks they they're effectively cracking down on cash transactions as Vance had mentioned and they you know your bank uh, effectively reports what they consider a suspicious deposit or a suspicious withdrawal. Why do you, why do you need $5,000 in cash? What's your business? And those type of questions, uh, if you've never been asked those, uh, try to go uh, withdraw $15,000 in cash from your bank account or uh, open up a business account. And it's this KYC protocol that's been implemented, and the, the bank is effectively an agent of the government. And um, I don't know if, if you've ever had that, uh, that occurrence, but in, for example, in real estate development, if you're paying uh, some contractors by sub and you need, you need cash to pay them and you're pulling cash out of your, your bank account, you'll, you'll have a, a teller ask you questions, the manager will come over and ask you questions, and, or if you make a deposit in cash, the same, same protocol. You've gotta ask yourself, uh, why? I mean, is that not strange? Have you
1: ever experienced that, Eric? I have not. And, and, and that's, it's, it's a little bit bothersome. Um, not that I haven't done it, uh, but it's, it's bothersome that if they're asking you, well, what's your business? I'm going to ask, well, why is it your business? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it should be none of their business. This is the money that I have in my account. I'm not asking to take out extra. If I have 15 in there, I'm not saying, hey, give me 20. Then they can ask me questions. But yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not too keen on that.
3: Yeah, and that would be called a loan, right? It's and that's where it comes yeah. back to. <laughs> this is my money, or so we right. think it's our our money, but uh, in effect, they want to control um, your cash transactions, and they want to control you, um,
2: uh, guys. This is all part of what what sometimes I term as the ostrich syndrome. We bear our bury our heads in the sand. We think and no matter how much we have talked about the dodd-frank act (laughs) ever since it was passed people still believe the money in their bank accounts are owned by them and that is not the case the banks own that money and they feel they have the right to ask the questions when you pull money out hey why are you taking our money back Mm -hmm. out so Eric, that if if you look at it that way, we can all see, I guess if they really think it's their money and not our money, uh, they may be entitled to ask those questions. But this is all coming from higher up. They they don't know why in many, many cases why they have to ask these questions. They just know they have to ask them. And if they get a belligerent answer or if they get a suspicious answer they have to document it and report it they actually have to do a report on five thousand dollars and above now that you put Mm. and if they're not allowing that i think just recently uh, i had read where anything that's suspicious uh, can have a report written up on it coming out of your account
1: Well, and here's the thing is I think that they have tried to normalize this by saying, you know, these are safety procedures. We want to make sure somebody's not getting scammed. And as much as I appreciate stopping a, you know, 85 year old woman who maybe has shown some signs of dementia from pulling out $50,000 in cash to give to the pool boy. I don't think it's their responsibility to check every possible transaction. It It just doesn't make much sense. Precisely.
3: And it's, it's always in the name of, well, we're doing it for your good, right? We're, it's for your benefit. We've never lived in a society since the inception of our country that, that, that adhere to that. We, we take responsibility for our, our own actions, and, and family helps family. And so I, I, it's a great cover, but in reality, it's about control and um here's an interesting fact as well, since the coronavirus uh, pandemic had, had has has been in uh, the past couple of years there's been almost four trillion dollars uh, deposited in centralized banks that that's a massive increase in cash yeah. influx into normal bank account deposits and part of it has is directly tied to the uh, the printing of money. Since um, we've started tracking this in the past uh, year and a half, the, uh, the national debt went from 26 uh, trillion to over 30 trillion, and it, it's increasing by the second. And it's a r- rapid parabolic increase uh, in in deficit spending, and that's also trickling down into cash. That people have in their hands and they don't, why do they put it in centralized bank accounts? Why, if you even had a suspicion that your f- funds were at risk and that they could be taken from you in bank insolvency and there was an easy option for you uh, to keep it safe, why, why wouldn't you do that? Well, the reason is people just don't know about it. Yeah. They just They just don't know about other options.
1: Well, we're getting low on time here, guys, and I want to get this wrapped up. But before we do, I know that this really is going to be tying into the next podcast. So, Seth, why don't you lead us out and and, and tell us how this all wraps up today and then how it's going to lead into the next podcast.
3: Sure. Well, we're going to get into uh, the the fact that there is a better option. to. place to store your cash in an asset-protected uh, structure. I mean, some people put uh, money under their mattress, some people put it in the ground if they don't want to trust a bank, and those are probably better than a centralized bank, frankly, in this current culture, but there's a much better option. And so we're going to lay that out in the next episode and and dig into to what that option is and how to protect your cash assets, and we're also going to talk about how to protect your, your real estate and other businesses assets through private banking strategies.
1: All right, gentlemen, I appreciate your time today. Vance, any closing thoughts from you today? You know, I
2: just uh, want to try to keep as many people alert to the situations that there are alternatives. You don't have to just accept what's coming down the pike. And we hope we can contribute to that knowledge. And I think that's, uh, you know, important for everybody to know.
1: All right. And then my last question is this, Seth, if people want to hear more or find out more, uh, you know, before you know, they don't want to wait for that next podcast, I know they can go to the website. What's what's the address for people to get there? It's privatebankingstrategies.com.
3: Privatebankingstrategies.com. And on the website, you can uh, give us your email. And uh, in exchange for that, you can download a copy of our uh, red pill book, we like to call it. Uh, what's what banks don't want you to know and how you can protect yourself? That's a free book, and you can also listen to it in audio form. We've also got a, a, a resources page where we've got podcasts that we've produced on a number of different topics that drill down on the seven pillars of private banking strategies. And there's blog posts and the emails that we have are are quite robust in describing various scenarios and circumstances where people can
1: uh, sink their teeth into private banking strategies as well, Eric. All right. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for your time today. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, listening audience. We wouldn't be here without you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Private Banking Strategies podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Vance and Seth come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And again, I'm going to encourage you to do that just because this is a lot of information, a lot of education that these guys are providing. And there's nothing better than people that are kind of in that similar situation or have those same concerns striking up a conversation about what you're learning on this podcast so please share this again thank you so much for listening today for everyone at private banking strategies this is eric johnson reminding you to live your best day every day and we'll see you next
4: time did that story feel like it was about you Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com.
0: Thank you for listening to the Private Banking Strategies Podcast.